we're going to talk a bit about about family today. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, or was it last week? A couple of weeks ago, we, last week, Vision Sunday, we, we, we were outlining um, acts like family, feels like home, and uh, I know that sometimes that can be a bit like half years kind of going, yeah, the other half's going, yeah, what does that mean? Could we have the first slide up? Thanks, Ab. So today, oh, sorry, there's a slide before that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Today, well, I've entitled the, the, the slide's not coming up, but today, if you're taking notes, family, the good, the bad, and the ridiculous. That's what today is called. Family, the good, the bad, and ridiculous. And we're going to delve into a bit of uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians in order to unpack that. Before we do that, uh, and this has a purpose too, because we're going to talk about roles a little bit later on when Paul is addressing the Corinthians, but... Roles, who does what in your family? Like just, just initially, we're going to think about your family at home. Who does what in your family? Let's put the first one up there. Who is the, thanks Abby, primary arachnid relocation program engineer? Put your hand up if you are the primary arachnid relocation engineer. Thank you very much. In other words, who takes the spider out when it's in the house? Just a quick note. I have a background in biology. Just a quick note. <laughs> just a quick note, some people use the vacuum cleaner. The spider kind of thinks that it's been... I know, that's rough, right? That's rough. I'm, I'm looking at you. <laughs> Pest exterminator. Just a quick note, and this is science, you can't argue with it, but once a spider gets caught and taken outside, he tells all his friends, Avenge me! Okay, next one. Thanks, Abs. Self-appointed quality control officer for food production. Who is that in this? Who is the taste tester? Who comes by in the kitchen and your wife's making, this is purely hypothetical, your wife's making a lovely cake and you decide you need to test whether it's fit for human consumption. Who is that in this room? Okay, next one. Here we go. Pre-dishwasher inspector and morsel removal expert. Who has one of them? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. In our house, it's Henry. Some people are thinking, mantle note, don't eat at the Saunders house. Henry cleans the dishes. But he doesn't pay rent, so, you know, there's got to be some sort of... Okay, next one. Thanks. Thanks, Abby. Presiding CEO of the Ministry of Missing Socks. <laughs> there's a, lot of, there's a lot, of, lot of people putting their hand up going, if I could get back that time, I could take a holiday to the Caribbean. And next one. Overseer of weekly waste receptacle roadside migration. Who takes the bins out? Who takes the... There's a lot of people putting their hand up for every single thing. Who takes the bins out? This is actually nay in our house. So the first one is me. The second one is me. The third one is, is uh, Henry. Uh, and the last two are nay. So she gets all the fun jobs. All funned out by the end of the day. We're going to come back to roles a bit later on. But before we do that, I decided I wanted to go here. I was tossing up whether we should or not. But there's a whole stack of, I encourage you when you go home uh, today to Google awkward family portraits. You will not regret it. <laughs> if you need a bit of a laugh, thanks, Ab. So we're going to go there. It won't take long. Awkward family photos, so wrong it's right. I always cry laughing when I was putting this together. Just to let you know, these photos that are up here are volunteered by the people in them to be up here. So I'm not trying to pick on them by accident. And I did try and put one of my own up there, but ran out of time, couldn't find it. So let's move on. 
Okay, first one, thanks, Abs. There we go. I love that. A common theme in a lot of awkward family photos is the matching clothes. And uh, nothing says, yay, like tartan. Next one. This is um, gold. Like, graciously, I asked uh, Kerry and Andy if they could give us an early photo uh, when Abby was little. And so kindly, you know, when it, back when Andy had hair, they gave me this one. I was just like, that is the bomb that's got to come back. And you guys are just the people to do it. Okay, next one. This is like, I love, um, some of these I'm thinking, I'm imagining the thought process behind what's going on. Hey, I've got a great idea. <laughs> Let's all dress up as colors of the rainbow <laughs> and paint our faces and lie on the ground. And that'll be our Christmas card for this year. Fantastic. One of my favorites. Next one. Uh, this has no words for it. There is no word. I don't need to add to that. Next one. Next one. This, I love the thought process of this one. It's, this, this is my thought processes. Is that it was this guy's idea. <laughs> and these guys are like, this is going to look terrible. But he's like, hey, double denim and white skivvies. Who's in? Double denim. Never goes out of fashion. Double denim wipe skivvies, you know it's coming back. Okay. Next one. Oh, yes. This the crocheted Von Trapp family photograph of, hey, let's all get out them crocheted vests that I knitted last year. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, next one. This is one of my favorites. It needs no explanation. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. And last one, and my all-time favorite one. Oh, uh, yeah? That is the bomb. Yeah, I was weeping. I couldn't see the screen. This is my scaled-down edited version. <laughs> you should have seen what I left out. Oh, my goodness. <sighs> okay. Focus. Focus. Okay, thanks, Abby. Next one. What's your point? Let's be honest here. Family is not always fun. It doesn't always work. Sometimes it's awkward and messy and difficult and embarrassing. There may even be seasons where you're just in survival as family. So when we talk about our vision for the Chapel Collective to act like family and look like home, what does that look like? What does that look like? And uh, that's what we want to unpack just a little bit here today. Um, by the way, it doesn't all have to happen like this, okay? This is a process. We're, we're in a process here. So we're going to now transition from thinking about family at home and awkward family photos and who does what at home to this family, to this family. And not just when I say this family, yes, I mean this family within this building right here, but I also mean the wider family that we are part of, okay? Cross-denominational, global Okay, let's think in those terms. Think in collective, collective pronoun terms that when the Bible says you, it's often talking collectively to us, us, us. Okay, so let's just have that sort of hat on when we do that today. Okay. We don't have to always like, this is just a little, um, what's the word, side note. Uh, we're not called to always like each other and always agree with each other but we are called to love each other. Um, 
and, and if you've got a problem with that, like that is actually translatable to your nuclear family as well. Don't always like each other. Don't always agree with each other. Me and my siblings have, some of us have vastly different worldviews, but we love each other. We love each other. Um, that, that's important. Don't have to always agree on everything. In fact, unity doesn't, doesn't equate to always agreeing. Uh, unity in diversity is what we're going to talk about today. Unity in diversity. Okay. When it comes to family believers, there's quite a few references largely throughout Paul's letters and also in Acts addressing family culture and dynamics. And many of them focus on the idea of unity within family and being one in Christ. Essentially, Paul and others who are writing are saying, hey team, yes, we're all different, but let's keep the main thing the main thing. Okay? Let's keep Jesus central and let him be the head of this family. Yeah? Okay. I'm going to look at a couple of well-known pieces of a letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, which was a messy and difficult church. And he loved them. He loved them. But it was really obvious in the letters to the Corinthians that this church was a mess. Okay, And his letter is kind of in response to some people writing to him from Corinth going, hey, look, this, this, and this is happening. Can you address it? Can you speak into it where there's, there's uh, factions starting up? There's people mixing um, their newfound faith with the culture of Corinth. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about that because uh, it was a Greek city, big city, big city with lots and lots of temples. And a lot of those temples were dedicated to the Greek gods. So there was a mixture of things going on, and Paul is addressing some of those things. Okay, The main purpose of Paul's letter uh, is to address issues within the church where members were mixing their faith with the practice of the culture around them, sort out fractions within the church, provide clear instruction and counsel, and correct some dodgy teaching so that church could mature and grow rather than stay stuck. Okay, His heart, can you hear his pastoral heart? If you, read the, if you read the book, 1 Corinthians, opening line, grace and peace to you, that kind of thing, opening, and he often says those sort of things when Paul is writing a letter, um, but his heart is so warm. So yes, he carries a big stick, but he kind of, rab- you know, baseball bat wrapped in bubble wrap, have that sort of image in your head, that's Paul, okay? In short, Paul's kind of, <laughs> the other half of me goes, sort of imagines him thinking, oh man, don't make me come down there. Right, that's it. I'm going to write a strongly worded letter. So this is the strongly worded letter, okay? And we're just going to focus on a couple of bits because it's a big letter. We don't have time to go through all of it. But uh, in chapters, there's there's some, there's a lovely little sandwich in this letter. And, and the middle bit, you guys will know so well. Even if you're not uh, grown up in church background, chances are you'll know this, which is 1 Corinthians 13, love is, yeah? Like beautiful little piece of... Gorgeous writing, absolutely stunning. Many people use it at their weddings, that kind of thing, even if they're not from church, because they go, wow, and they should. It's incredible. But that, that is in between uh, uh, chapter 12, which is a lot about uh, spiritual gifts, and then it talks about the body, and chapter 14, which goes back on to prophecy and tongues. So in between these talkings where Paul is addressing issues that are happening, concerning people having disagreements over spiritual gifts and tongues and prophecy and all that kind of thing, he puts this beautiful little 
what looks like a piece of poetry right in the middle and you kind of think, what is that doing there? Is that like out of context? But it isn't and we'll unpack that a little bit today and it will hopefully tie back into what we're talking about. Acts like family feels like home. Okay. Thanks, Abs. Let's get those slides up here. So we're going we're gonna to go from, if you've got your Bible, open it up, otherwise it's on the screen. We're going to go from 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 to 31, and it's a bit of a chunk. It's a bit of a chunk. Um, I think I put the message translation up here. Um, and as you know, message is not a true translation. It's like a paraphrase, but sometimes I really love it. So read alongside like a net NIV, okay? Don't come and get into me later on. Have your NIV open or something like that and your message open. But I love some, some ways that the message uh, puts things. It's great. It's beautiful. Okay, here we go. So I can imagine Paul going, okay, so he's, he's just addressing different gifts and knowing that the reason why he's addressing those things in the letter is because people are having little punch-ups about it. I can just imagine him pausing going, how do I explain this? Ah, okay, here we go. You can easily enough see how this kind of thing works by looking no further than your own body. So he's trying to explain the different ways that different gifts work in the right context. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells, but no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. By means of his one spirit, we all said goodbye to our old partial and piecemeal lives. We each used to independently call our own shots. But when we entered into a large and integrated life in which he has the final say in everything, which is a little sentence describing the church, this is what we proclaimed in word and action when we were baptized. Each of us is now a part of his resurrection body, refreshed and sustained at one fountain, his spirit where we all come to drink. The old labels we once used to identify ourselves, labels like Jew or Greek or slave or free, are no longer useful. We need something large, more comprehensive. Next one, Abs, thanks. I want you to think about how all this makes, more, makes you more significant and not less. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's like all the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. If foot said, I'm not elegant like hand, embellished with rings, I guess I don't being, belong to this body, would that make it so? No. Thank you. If ear said, I'm not beautiful like eye, transparent and expressive, I don't deserve to be a place on the head, would you want to remove it from the body? No. If the body was on all an eye, how could it hear? If it was all ear, how could it smell? As it is, we see that God has carefully placed each part of the body right where he wanted it. But also, I also want you to think about how this keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. This is really important. For no matter how significant you are, it is only because of what you are part of. An enormous eye or a gigantic hand wouldn't be a body, but a monster. What we have is one body with many parts. It's its proper sides and its proper place. So he's, he's kind of swinging hard here with his bubble wrap baseball bat right now because he's addressing some specific stuff that's going on. Yeah? No part is important on its own. Can you imagine eye telling hand, get lost, I don't need you, or head telling foot, you're fired. Your job has become phased out. As a matter of fact, in practice, it works the other way. The lower the part, the more basic and therefore necessary. 
We need a spleen. Yeah, we need a stomach. We don't even see them. We don't give them much thought. We need these things more than we need some other things. You can live without an eye, for instance, but not without a stomach. He even says it. When it's part of your own body you are concerned with, it makes no difference whether the part is visible or clothed, higher or lower. You give it dignity and honour just as it is, without comparisons. If anything, you have more concern for the lower parts than the higher. If you had to choose, wouldn't you prefer good digestion to full-bodied hair? Next one. Thanks, Ebs. The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part. I remember my dad used to preach on this. And I can remember his illustration. It's funny how illustrations will stay in your head for life. And he used to say, you know what, if you're a thumb and you get hit with a hammer, you're going to want the armpit. Ah, You know, because someone's going, I'm an armpit (laughs) to come for the thumb. Every part depends on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't, the parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt. Do you ever read or hear stuff about what's happening globally with our church? And your heart just breaks. Yeah, sometimes to hear about people who are right now, sitting in deserts in shipping containers purely because they profess Jesus. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into the exuberance. That's important too. You're a Christ body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. Only as you accept your part of your body that does your part, sorry, only as you accept your part of the body, of that body that does your part mean anything? That's a, is that a weird sentence or is it just me? Right, thank you. Thank you. You're familiar with some of the parts that God has formed in his church, which is his body. Apostles, prophets, teachers, miracle workers, healers, helpers, organizers, those who pray in tongues. But it's, but it's obvious by now, isn't it, that Christ's church is a complete body and not a gigantic undimensional part. It's not all apostle, clearly. It's not all prophet, it's not all miracle worker, it's not all healer, it's not all prayer in tongues, it's not all interpreter of tongues. And yet some of you keep competing, and this is key, this is why he's talking about this, and yet some of you keep competing for so-called important roles. And then there's a little breath, and it's included as the end of chapter 12, but it's kind of this weird little sentence in between 12 and 13 just before the beautiful 13 about love, and it's this. But now I want to lay out a far better way from you. The NIV says it like this. Thanks, Abs. And now I will show you the most excellent way. This, um, this is such a pivotal little sentence because he's just addressed some big stuff. Some big stuff. He's swung pretty hard, not just in uh, chapter 12, but if you look back through 1 Corinthians. He hits hard. He hits hard, but it's with love. Then he's just sort of really honed in on some stuff. And then he talks about the body to try and illustrate what he's really talking about. And he goes, you know what? I'm going to say a little sentence now, and 
Everything needs to pass through that sentence. This is a contextual sentence. And now I will show you the most excellent way. And then he talks about love. That beautiful chapter. It's such a famous chapter. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is this. Love is that. It doesn't do this. It doesn't do that. It always this. It always that. That we love. If you're uh, uh, going to get married and you're thinking, I want that verse that you want, I don't want to persuade you, do it. But the context is not, uh, and the word that they use in this particular passage is not really talking about um, couples. It's addressed to the church, and the word, the Greek word is agape. We'll grab that in a sec. But when I was reading this, I, I kind of thought, you know, if I'm, I'm listening to this letter, I'm like, Paul. Hey, man, you're like really heavy right now. Can you just bring it down a notch? You know, I just need to hear something like, like love. Yeah, just give me an advert on love. And when I initially read it, I thought there's this weird advertisement about love in the middle of the, the telling off. <laughs> um, but as we're discovering it, it's not out of context and it's there for a reason. Yep. Paul didn't randomly decide just to plonk a bit of poetry in there. Thanks, Abby. I talked briefly about the Greek. Get the Greek. In 1 Corinthians 13, the Greek word here, predominantly translated into English as love and in some translation as charity, that adds a spin, doesn't it? Is agape, the fatherly love of God for humans as well as the human reciprocal love for God. In Scripture, the transcendent agape love is the highest form of love. The footnotes in my NIV Bible say this. Fascinating. The Greek for this word indicates a selfless concern for the welfare of others that is not called forth by any quality of lovableness or loveliness in the person being loved, which tells you a lot about what love really is. It's got little to do with feelings, but is the product of a will to love in obedience to God's command. Oh, man. It is like Christ's love manifested on the cross. And when, if you do a, uh, if you go back through, particularly through the books of the gospel books of Matthew and Mark in particular, there's a stack of things that Jesus says in there in relations to what, to what um, following Him will cost. Uh, and you might think, oh, that's a bit off topic. Well, not really, because following Him is what we're professing to do. Yes, or most of us, unless you're kicking tires, by which case you're more than welcome in here. Um, but it's always very linked with obedience and it's linked with sacrifice and it's linked with taking up your cross. And it's, Christ says stacks about this stuff. It's really hard teaching. The product of a will to love and obedience with God's command. We often don't like talking about love and comedian and, and uh, obedience in, in the same sense. Give me a little fuzzy stuff, Dan. That's part of it. That's great. But sometimes if you're anything like me, to love one another is an act of the will. Yeah? Let that be a starting point. Let that be a starting point. Okay. Thanks, Abby. So what's Paul trying to say? Amongst other things, he's bringing the Corinthian church's ideas and disputes regarding spiritual gifts back into proper and bigger context. 
Okay, that's not all he's saying in, in chapter 13, but it's, it's some of it. It's, it's quite, there's a lot in there and I don't want to unpack the whole lot, but just for the purpose of this morning, by saying, without this kind of love for one another, these things, these spiritual gifts that you so desire are nullified and diminished and robbed of correct purpose. That's what he's saying by this. Love for one another, unity within the body must be your beginning and your anchor point and your compass reference. And then everything else will have purpose and make sense. That's what Paul's trying to say in 1 Corinthians 13. He didn't put it in there so that people use it at their weddings. Even though, please do use it at your wedding, but it's not its primary purpose. Okay. Thanks, Abby. The yeah, but factor. Yeah, but you don't know my family, Dan. <laughs> and you don't know mine. Well, you know some of mine, but not all of mine. I can almost hear it. Yeah, that's nice, Dan. And Kerry and Bronnie that you guys talk about acts like family feels like home. But it's a little different on the ground. There are, now, I want to tread carefully because there will be people in this room who perhaps, um, when you say the word family, both in the context of your nuclear family and in the context possibly of church, um, the negative outweighs the positive. Let's be real, okay? I don't want to be someone standing up here going, church is always perfect. It's not. Church always gets it right. It doesn't. We're people. We're people. I have a little issue when people walk away from the church for those reasons because I'm pretty sure they still go to Bunnings and there's hypocrites in Bunnings. Pretty sure they still go to Coles. I'm pretty sure there's hypocrites in Coles. Pretty sure they're still part of the human race full of hypocrites. Okay? If you leave church, do it for the right reasons, as in you're moving on to another church for the correct reasons and God has ordained that. Don't just go and, oh, the church is a bunch of hypocrites. Well, yes, we are, but you're one as well. <laughs> It doesn't float. It doesn't float. Okay, I don't want to dis- I don't want to just trivialize and and lift the proverbial rug and kick under uh, it any pain that you might have associated with the word family. Um, when it comes to family, even church family, there's nothing. There's no such thing as a seamless, perfect church family. And even if you've found, my old pastor in Melbourne used to say, when I arrived at this church, I'd found the perfect church and then I stepped in the door and it wasn't perfect anymore. That's from the top down. And that was a big church. That was a mega church. And he's, and he's right. Um, as gently as I can and as much as I don't want to just tread all over your, your difficult family, stuff if, if it's there and difficult church stuff if it's there I want to very quickly con- get an image in your head of, of um, perhaps flipping a telescope and looking at it through the other end sometimes this happens with the word father too people have got a lot of issues with the word father associating father with God and there's a whole conversation about that but uh, sometimes what we do is we measure God against our earthly father's rather than having God as our perfect father. Not, not so that we can get into our earthly fathers. Oh, you're not as perfect as God, but so that there's grace for our earthly fathers. Does that make sense? 
let's flip that telescope around, okay? If you've had a hard family life, you didn't grow up in a stable family, perhaps you don't even know your family, perhaps you've been pulled apart, um, that's rough, it is. Um, I'd like today, perhaps even for the first time, perhaps we start flipping that telescope around and look through it through a different lens where perhaps this family could be a new start. Yeah? There's a lot more to that. I don't want to go into it, but anyway. Something we did, um, this, this in Melbourne, the, the church that Nay and I were part of, um, uh, a lady started coming to church and she had, clearly she had some issues. And we didn't realize, uh, after a little while, she got to know a few of us and she asked, there was about half a dozen of us that she got to know and trusted well enough to share a bit of her story with and ask that we would journey with her in it. And her story was that she was the, and I have no reason to doubt her story, otherwise she's the world's best actor and some of the stuff I saw in the following years just blew my head off, but she was the targeted um, person in her family for systematic satanic ritual and abuse from the age of about two. Um, and they did that to her because she had a cleft lip and so they decided we're going to... I don't know what that's got to do with anything, but, but she... This is heavy stuff. And she had... Um, have you heard of multiple personalities disorder? Okay, sometimes it's not always a bad thing because a personality might come along to help that person get through a terrible situation... Let's not go there, but she had about 30 people um, inside her. And over the course of about a year and a half, there was a small group of us that worked alongside her. And looking back now, I'm thinking, I don't know what I was doing. I was in my 20s. I was just ringing up my dad all the time. going, Dad, what do we do here? What's the procedure? How do we biblically walk through this? How do we protect ourselves? How do we cover our things? But long story short, eventually the different entities went in the right way. Um, and she became Christian. But something that we did do, to she had zero positive family memories. And there would be certain days of the year where she would be a mess, an absolute mess, because on that day something horrific happened. And also, coincidentally, on that day, another person would come and live inside her. I remember being in a bookshop with her once. And this was a lady in her 40s, and suddenly she was a five-year-old girl looking at the children's books in aisle three, named something else, because um, that little girl came along on a day that was too hard to handle. <laughs> Are you tracking with me? So anyway, our church took her in, uh, not really understanding how difficult this ride was going to get. <laughs> but uh, something that we did do and um, I had a photo to show you but it didn't scan in for some weird reason um, is that, that when these days would come along where she had an awful memory we would say let's create a new one today <laughs> yeah so it didn't mean the memory didn't happen but it did mean that when that day came around next year Perhaps. 
and we, we did it messily. We didn't get it right, and it, there were some casualties. Uh, but we were trying to be family. Um, something that we did, uh, I used to have an old 1983 HJ47 Toyota Land Cruiser Troopy called Trev, which I loved dearly and wish I'd never sold because now they're worth like a packet and I sold it for five grand. Anyway, I know, right? Anyway, I had a photo. I'll show you some other time. But what we did is um, she said, I've never been four-wheel driving. I'd love to do that. The Troopy had a full-length roof rack on the top. Um, And what we do sometimes with the youth, because I used to pick up the entire youth group in the Troopy (laughs) because I was the youth leader at that point in time. What we'd sometimes do is strap a big, uh, king-size mattress to the <laughs> to the roof and then we'd go and find these insane four-wheel drive tracks with kids holding on to the top of the mattress. You can't do this anymore. And if anyone says that this happened here, I'll deny it. But she said, I would love to do that. So we went and found some killer track in the uh, Victorian bush like this and like this and her and her teenage son were on the roof of this troopy just screaming with laughter and howling with fun. And we did that on a day um, where for her, uh, everything to do with family was just painful. And so we kept trying to make new memories. Okay, just a little practical how-to. Okay, okay, okay. Thanks, Abs. Sorry, I'll wrap it up. I know I'm over time. We're getting to the how-tos, the takeaways. Do what you don't feel. We're coming back to the original question, the original statement from last week. Acts like family, feels like home. Some of this is about doing what you don't feel. I don't feel like being at church this morning. I don't feel like loving that person. Some practicals. Apologize when, when you need to. Some of these do what you don't feels exist without us even questioning it in our own nuclear family but then when it comes to church we'll give it a different set of rules my big question is why apologize when you need to choose forgiveness a number of years ago um, I was under massive attack from within from within the family and there were some people who really were incredibly nasty and vicious to a group of us very very hard and um, I copped some of those barrels both in the guts right? it was just it was brutal it was really hard and I thought I've got a choice here I can either start the process of forgiveness now Because who knows, it's sometimes a process, not just like a movie. I forgive you. Oh, sweet, we're best mates. Yeah. No. Sometimes it's like, yeah, I I don't don't know if I can see that person again, but I will not bring up what happened ever again. I will not hold that against them. I will forgive them. I don't care if they hate my guts to the day they die. I will not repay hate with hate. Choose to forgive. So what I did, I did some things that I did not want to do I took over a food hamper while they hated me and whenever they would come up in my mind I would stop whatever I was doing and just go no 
I forgive and I would name as often as it took. And sometimes it was daily, a couple of days a week. Um, and now if they walk through the door, they'd still be part of it that goes, <gasps> they would, they would. I wish I was a bigger person, but I'm not. I made some choices. And I still want to make those choices. I don't do them perfectly. Sometimes I want to punch in my face. But I have to keep coming back to no, no, no. Jesus, you don't do that. I'm not going to do that. Speak life over one another. It's incredibly important. Speak life over to one another. And notice another person's grace towards you. I'd like to say to you, church, thank you for your grace to me. Because if I haven't let you down yet, you haven't been here long enough. And I will let you down. I will disappoint you. So in advance, I ask that you forgive me and thank you for the grace when you do that. Okay, final thoughts. We can all choose to set the tone and dynamic of what family looks like here. We're going to mess it up sometimes. We're going to get it wrong. Sometimes you're going to be looking at someone else thinking that person has or hasn't done this for me or to me. Here's the uncomfortable bit. How do you know there's not someone else looking at you going, that person has or hasn't done, yeah? Here's a, here's a, if you're into writing down difficult questions, here's a real cracker of a one. If our church was to just be a multiplication of you and your usual default attitude, would it be attractive? Or would it turn people away? And we all have our moments. I'm not talking about moments. I'm talking about your usual default attitude in this family. If we multiply that and just fill the church with that attitude, is it attractive? Is this church attractive anymore? Or do we pack it up and go home? We're a part of a huge global family. We are the current end of a massive family tree. The recipients of blessings undeserved. You can close your eyes if you like. Let's say this as a prayer. What will generations come to say about our time of carrying the flame? What will generations to come say about our time of carrying the flame? In the future, when we've become part of church history, will they speak about unity in diversity about us? Will they say we acted like family and felt like home? As messy as that sometimes is. But we kept at it. The world is watching. How we treat one another matters because the byproducts of how we do life together has the power to change the world.